Statistics on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward. Here's the pass. Antonio's through. Chance of four. What a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown podcast. Alongside me this week are two young boys who were not alive the last time West Ham lost a home game to Norwich. But then it's so long ago that your uh, wizened host was still a month from his glorious birth too. I, I think TV's had colour, but you have to go to uh, Eyes Up Mother Brown for more more chat on the talkies, colour photography and the ZX Spectrum. Instead, I have the Benjamin Buttons of West Ham podcast, Jack Elderton, and the comeback kid, Callum Goodall. How are we both? Yeah, sound feeling healthy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> enthusiastic as ever. That's certainly true. Yeah, man. I'm all uh, good. Yeah, all good. Healthier than last week, so can't complain. Yes, certainly sound it. Uh, this week we will be looking <laughs> at a disaster against Leeds, a comprehensive victory over Norwich, uh, some more transfer talk and a bit more madness from the African Cup of Nations as well. I'd like to again point listeners in the direction of the excellent articles these two pups are producing on transfer targets. Daily analysis of targets we have, targets we should have, released every day on uh, every day on KUMB.com if you're the kind who likes your analysis and takes even and takes sorry and takes and takes even more often than that. Follow the lads on Twitter. It's at Jack Elderton and at WHU underscore analytics. Are we still, are we back on using your normal one now, not underscore at the end, Jack? We're back on the normal one. After your Twitter Twitter gel. Um, If you would like to get in touch, all correspondence can be sent to, as ever, the email address, podcast at KUMB.com, the forum thread, KUMB.com, and then you can tweet us. The boss will get it. He'll pass it on, I'm sure, at KUMB.com. All words, no punctuation, Twitter. Um, Leeds then we'll start with Leeds it's fresh in the mind isn't it that's what you want uh, not, not, not the ideal result when you're, some of your rivals are off and you could put a gap in front of you for the, uh, the top four spot was it Jack? No, no very frustrating result um, almost equally frustrating performance in some aspects as well uh, good chance uh, to establish a little bit of a gap and, and get, get closer to Chelsea um, as we all knew um, and real shame to to have not managed to do that. Uh, but I wouldn't be too downtrodden. Uh, it's been a good couple of weeks. There have been some positives, and um, yeah, we'll benefit from having a week of rest now. And uh, hopefully, uh, Man United gives us well. Man United does really give us a good platform to 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 get the kind of win that can that can turn things back around again. It was certainly certainly a frustrating game, Callum. Undoubtedly, I mean. You can't have watched that, and there were there were some positives, but I'm sure the negatives were outweighing on your mind. Yeah, massively so. Um, but much like Jack, I don't, we're going to obviously discuss it in detail throughout the pod. But I think it's important to not be too downtrodden by it. And um, one positive that I saw after the game that I'll draw attention to if people haven't seen it is um, Declan Rice doing captain things, uh, commenting on Jared Bowen's post on Instagram. It was quite yeah. a uh, beaten. A post that was pretty down, obviously, and blaming himself. And Deck just reminded him that his goals have been the uh, one of the most important things keeping us in this race at the minute and to uh, keep our head up and look forward and remain positive, which I thought was nice to see. Um, after <laughs> I spent a few hours on Twitter after the game and most of the stuff wasn't great. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, one, one of the, my least favourite things of modern football is the apology post that apparently, now even if you miss a chance, it's yeah. obviously, obviously he felt he had to do. And it was good to see that people just going, no. Yeah. Really. I mean, he's one who's getting more support than any at the moment, I guess. Um, other end of the pitch was a big problem then. I don't know, I don't, want to, I don't want to point to any individuals. In fact, I don't need to point to any individuals. It was a game where you could point to each individual at the back, really. But it's one who sticks in my mind. But I won't go straight there, Jack. I'll let you start yourself off. The defence. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we've talked about it at great length uh, on on many of the recent podcasts. Without without Zuma, uh, without Bonner, uh, and previously without um, Cresswell, we, we we have really struggled. And um, and one of the key um, issues with with this lineup at the back, particularly these two central defenders, is is the lack of press resistance. And um, 
it was just exposed horribly throughout most of the game um, against Leeds. Just easy for Leeds to, and, and it's what they do, it's, it's and, and what they do very well, press high, uh, force errors, force turnovers. And um, it was just far, far too easy for them to, to cause the kind of um, uncertainty um, in the minds of our defenders that led to just these really poor uh, passes into midfield and, and passes into the forwards that, that provided opportunities for players who, who were really sharp at the back uh, for Leeds to, to nip in uh, and win turnovers in midfield and, and, and sort of high in defence. Um, Pascal Strout, we'll come to later, was, was really excellent at this throughout the game. Um, so, yeah, just uh, disappointing again in possession. And then out of possession, there was there were some good things. Uh, there were some good moments from from both centre backs. They were very limited. Uh, I thought Diop's uh, aggressive decision making in the first half wasn't terrible, um, and there was some high. Having there was a faint praise. I think that might be good. <laughs> well, no, I, I look. I think I think it was a the second half was awful and one of the worst individual performances I've seen. God, I think. I can only really go back to the Brighton 3-3 from a couple of seasons ago. And I think that was Diop again. Um, it's the last performance I can think of as being quite as bad as this um, in the second half. But I, I think it's, you know, it's important. You know, game is 90 minutes long. He was terrible in, in the second 45 minutes, but he wasn't awful in the first half. And he did make some good decisions against Dan James in the first half. It was actually Dawson that was much worse in the first half. Um, and... And they sort of traded places and Dawson kind of bailed Diop out a few times in the second half with some key key blocks. And um, I think we would have conceded a few more goals had um, the two not been kind of compensating for each other's terrible mistakes um, in, in each half. But yeah, I, as I said, I think it was after the, the Palace game. It's become unsustainable now. Um, it, it, pre, prior to Palace, maybe we would be getting one or two mistakes in a game. Now we're looking at something like five, six. I mean, it's, it's just really, really silly to have centre-backs making that number of mistakes that lead to shots in, in games. And, and it's completely unsustainable to be able to, to continue to, to get points on the board and to continue to challenge at a top six level um, with, with that much of a porous defence. Well, to some extent, you could, we've been... The, maybe the attack has been bailing out the defence in that regard. We've been able to score more goals than the, than the yeah. defence has been able to concede. And up until now, we've got away with that on a few games. Maybe Palace is a good one where we just scored example. goals. We were clinical, so we did it. Um, yesterday, not so much. Maybe we were maybe we were waiting for that. Maybe actually it's a bit of a, a, a shot, a warning sign of what can be if we don't kind of make up for that and move on from that however we can do. Um, there was... The one I think was interesting, he's, he's, his stock has grown in his absence, Aaron Cresswell, um, and to the point where people, we had, there was Dina on the market, or Dean on the market, and people go, we don't need to spend the money on a left back, we've got a very good left back. I would say, Cal, that yesterday was a bit of a reminder that Cresswell's weaknesses haven't gone away, they've just been hidden, at least either behind other things he's really good at, or by management from Moyes, yesterday not at his best. Yeah, definitely not at his best yesterday and absolutely nowhere near the form he was exhibiting prior to his injury. But the one thing I will put in before we start to pick apart his performance is that I think he maybe not necessarily has been rushed back because I think he probably was fit against Norwich. But to ask a defender who's 32 years old to play two full 90s in the space of four days after six weeks out is is pretty pretty tough ask. Um, especially against the lead side who are literally renowned for just absolutely running at you. So that's all they do. They're just like, like Jack said before, I think a team of runners rather than footballers uh, at times. And to ask Cresswell to go, go in there on limited fitness and try and do a job um, was always going to be tough. And I think he was exposed and, and we can't, uh, I'm not excusing him of that, but I just think he's probably, had we had had we better depth at left back, I don't think he probably would have played that game. But it's because we obviously don't trust Masuaku as much as we would like to in those situations. Um, and and clearly, Cresswell is by far the best best left back we have. So we've kind of been forced into playing him, perhaps against our will. But yeah, that I think the most obvious is just in games like that, he's unfortunately at an age where his pace is, is I mean he was never really the paciest guy but there's very little pace left there and on, on a few occasions people were getting in behind yesterday I think the first goal 
uh, if I remember rightly, was um, them getting in behind him uh, through a mistimed control as well. I don't know what he was doing with that. He just completely misread the flight of the ball and went under his foot. Um, but yeah, not his not his finest. I think progressively he was still all right. He was a decent outlet for us. He was he was passing the ball well, um, passing it forward well, but he was just being let down by. Poor, poor touches and control from, from from other players across the pitch. I think. I, I think I'd like to jump in with a little bit of balance on on Cresswell. I, I do think he's been really ha- harshly criticised for that first goal. Uh, I, my instinct is that the pass from Ailing is ridiculously good, um, mm. and I think you struggle to find many left backs who can keep pace with Rafinha. Um, yeah, of course. And and the pass is perfectly weighted. Um, so I I think it's really harsh, really, to to attack Cresswell. I think he's left with only one option, which is to try and uh, and intercept the ball because he's never going to keep pace with Rafinha, and he doesn't quite get there. And I think that's more about the quality of the pass than than Cresswell. Um, and then sometimes people are, are reluctant to praise him for his set piece ability because it's not it's not part of general play. But you know, <laughs> set pieces are a part of the game you can't just sort of throw them out because they didn't happen in in open play and and he puts two brilliant set pieces in one of which he gets uh, an assist from and, and the other he he should have had another assist from the, yeah, Dawson has a has a brilliant chance to 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 nod a very simple header home <laughs> on the end of a of another brilliant Cresswell corner and, and doesn't do it so um there were really strong positives in the performance as well yeah no I think I think that's that's fair and I think as well I'll just say he, he did win <laughs> which is, surprised me when I saw it but he did win 83% of his defensive duels yesterday five out of six take, yeah. so the only defensive duel he didn't win was the one that led to the goal and then that's obviously becomes the main takeaway and people then ignore everything else he did throughout the game because he he added a mistake that directly resulted in a goal being conceded I think that's my my key take really is I've seen a lot of people saying that he was sort of slaughtered by Rafinha and I I think that was the only time I really remember Rafinha um, getting in behind him in in such a dramatic way and and I know people have complaints as well with with the goal that comes from the corner um, with him not um, staying switched on Mm. and, and Harrison getting in behind him again but Christ, I mean, it's a, he's got to react very, very quickly to a, to a header that never looks like it's going to come because Diop or Dawson should be making yeah, first contact. It's say. his job to stick with his man. But again, it's gone straight in the only gap that he can't um, account for. So I think it's, I, I, I think both, I think he can do better on both, but I don't think they're terrible mistakes. That might be kinder than I'd be about them, especially the second, <laughs> which I think is very sloppy and basic defending that he's got his basics wrong on two accounts. First, he squared himself up so he can't see his man. And I don't think he's reacted to what's going on at all. I don't, I don't think it's good enough on those regards. I think if, you, if you're not going to be tight on your man, then you have to know where he is and you have to open your body up to be able to react to it. Possibly drop deeper a little bit as well because he's just standing. I, I guess the other one I want to mention because I've seen him getting more stick that I actually thought was warranted was Soufal, the last member of that back four who I don't feel, had, I, mean, I don't think he had a good game, but certainly I don't think he was almost as bad as the others, Jack. I mean, you'd have watched it back again, I, I can't make myself. Soufal is such a weird one because I came away from the ground feeling like he was one of the worst performers on the pitch and then I watched the game back and I thought he was one of the better players on the pitch. So it was a, it was a sort of a strange uh, strange sort of uh, dual take really um, I think the first time around I might have focused more on his passing which I think was really oh, poor um, and he gave the ball away uh, far too much and also these these sort of clipped balls um, over the top for, for Bowen and Antonio uh, not really leading to very much other than, than easy turnovers for the for the opposition um, and actually I just got very angry with his if you roll all the way back to the first uh, sorry to the to the second goal the, the corner if you roll that all the way back to before Leeds win possession back we were mm. really in control of the game at that point and Soufal has a throw in on uh, about, about I don't know about five yards inside our own half and um, gets sort of frustrated with the fact that no one's showing for an option and he doesn't want to just throw it down the line to Antonio um, and then doesn't throw it to anyone and Mike Dean sort of mm. does a classic sort of celebrity ref moment of arms in the air shrugging um, uh, so 
kind of you get the feeling that he's got to hurry up but he throws it literally to no one into the middle into of the, the ground he throws it, <laughs> it into looked the like ground. a foul throw it looked yeah. like, like i remember because i did say that's got to be a foul throw which i don't say often <laughs> no he throws it into the ground and straight into the middle of the pitch um and antonio makes a good fist of sprinting to to try and get there but um Strauch manages to get round the outside, win, win a high turnover as he did for, for for lots of the game, and um, and then they go from that. Dawson actually makes a really poor clearance straight off of that, uh, where he should have kept possession. It's another throw, and then from that throw, Leeds win the corner and score. Um, so it's just sort of t- two really silly mistakes, but particularly the Sufal one. So I think when I was watching it the first time, I was focusing on his passing and also the fact that he just made these kind of unforced errors that that led to chances for Leeds, and then when I watched the game back I felt that defensively he was pretty solid uh, uh, and his his volume of defensive involvement seemed to be really high um, he seemed to pick up a lot of the slack from Suchek like our goal kicks were going out to Sufal and he was winning headers from from goal kicks and stuff so um, I, thought, I think he had double the aerial duels he usually has and, and maintained a, a three and four success rate um, which is uh, really strong I think uh, so in terms of his defensive contribution, uh, not necessarily so bad, but these sort of two moments um, for the third goal, he's caught upfield and for the second, um, I think it's, it's, it's largely his fault that the whole thing starts. Um, so almost similar to the analysis of Cresswell, really, in the sense that throughout the game, their defensive contributions were quite strong, but the moments where they failed uh, to do their job both led to goals. Um, yeah. so, so it's a kind of a difficult one to analyze because you almost want to praise them for having 88 minutes of a game that were good and two minutes of a game that were terrible but mm-hmm. it's just that those two minutes were exploited it was it was a kind of a, a mess around I think I suppose we could go through the goals and look at what happened the first we've gone we've just discussed with Chris it's very hard we do I mean I'm sure you were pulling your hair out to some extent because what ended up happening is we go back and we defend very deep in our area and the ball's cut back. I don't know you love those goals, Jack. They're your <laughs> favourite for us to concede. Nah, no, can't not, talk not, about it anymore. No, I'm not for me. I just don't have any... I just I have so few issues with this goal. It's a brilliant pass. It's The supporting runs are fantastic. It's a good ball across the box. Yeah. My, my biggest issue on the goal is Cresswell probably should, should, shouldn't go for the interception like you say. And then secondly, Fabianski looks like a 45-year-old man after he makes a save yeah. because he stumbles to his feet, seemingly not say. knowing where he is. Um, <laughs> And runs I was to just going to ask the near about post him. when actually I don't think Harrison's shot is that brilliant. And if he's anywhere near the middle of the goal, it's a simple save. Yeah, uh, I saw a lot of that afterwards saying, oh, it's a brilliant finish. Don't take that away from me. I was like, it wasn't really that good. He kind of just found the side net in the Perfect bit and... middle height for a yeah. keeper. It's exactly the perfect yeah. height for the keeper. One step save. across and he, he would have got it. I mean, I think he did get a hand to it, didn't he? But it went went through his hands. Well, this um, is what I mean. I, the fact that he's managed to get a, a something on it when he's virtually hugging the near post. I, he's just, anyway, look, it's a good first save. He should get up quicker. And then if he gets up quicker and has a little bit more of a sort of wherewithal, um, then he'll yeah. be able to make the second save as well. I do want to highlight on the second that I've seen a lot of people blaming Dawson for missing the header, which I, no, I, no. I don't know how you can blame a man for going up for a header. If, if it's over him, it's over him. But I want people to watch again what Diop does because I can't describe it. Yeah, I can't work out if Diop either A, I mean, it's, it's bad either way, but he either <laughs> A, decides not to contest the aerial duel against Ailing, which in itself is terrible because I'm pretty sure he's five inches taller than Ailing. He's six foot four, so he should be going for any header that's in the box. Yeah. Or he just completely lacks any awareness and doesn't even know Ailing's there and is too busy looking at the ball, to which Ailing has obviously tracked it and got there before him Diop doesn't realise he's there so doesn't bother to go up for it because he thinks it's fine either way it's inexcusable because both are stupid things to do in that situation because you're the person that should be heading it um, but yeah I just it, it was mind-boggling to watch and his facial expression afterwards when the ball goes towards the net is hilarious as well it's so mind-blowing that it's happened he doesn't seem to know quite what is going on around him, so that makes sense. No. It's the third yeah, one that yeah. I'm most interested in. We will go on to attack and actually have a chance to say something quite you know, positive at some point. The third one interests me, Jack, because, as you say, Sufal's caught upfield. And there's... Which... I want to ask you about that decision. Would you be uh, criticising him for being so far gone? Or is that... Is in, in a situation where we've got the ball and that control, should he be moving there? Um, I think his instinct to move up the pitch is correct when 
Diop has possession, uh, but he he continues his his run when Diop opts uh, to pass into Vlasic when perhaps he should be uh, reacting to that uh, 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 and turning more, you know, not not continuing to sprint up the pitch basically. Um, so the the gap. I think it's almost sort of like freeze frame football, isn't it? It's like when people take screenshots and go, oh, look, he's like eight yards away from his, his man. What's he doing there? But he's trying to make a run to support the play uh, and to provide an option on the far side if we, if we want a crossfield ball, if the op's under pressure. And so his instinct isn't actually terrible. But yeah, he is caught horribly out of position when, when uh, we do turn the ball over in the middle of the pitch. For me, this is a very small part of the goal. The, 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 the real thing mm-hmm. is the hospital ball into the middle of the pitch. <laughs> okay, it's interesting because I've also I've had people people watching that back and going and blaming Vlasic and the actually is I wasn't going to go onto this part. I was just going to leave it because I've I feel like I may have gone on Diop a few times in the last few weeks in the podcast. I I don't know, um, but the the ball itself bad. Even if it bad, what is it? Bad decision to use bad. I don't know what he's called when you. I've talked about this before with the backup defenders, right? When you get people who are who are good in possession, it's not just about picking the right option; it's about taking care of the ball when you pick the right option. It's about the weight of the pass, what foot you pass to, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 sort of speed and angle. All of these things are really important when you release possession forwards as a centre back or as a full back. Diop has literally just like spanked that. And it's bouncing. It's way too fast. It's everything about the pass is wrong, and it's the wrong option as well. Vlasic is clearly being pressed. He can clearly see that Vlasic is being pressed. Don't pass to him. If you need to kick the ball away, kick the ball away. Don't pass to someone who's who's under so much pressure in the middle of the pitch. I, perhaps you can excuse him a little bit. Vlasic has done really well at protecting the ball up until this point. Did a fantastic mm-hmm. job of it in the first half. But I don't know how many times, I, I, and I and I totally get what you're saying, Chris, about like we don't want to end up just constantly talking about Diop and, uh, and being really critical. But I don't know how many times in the second half this man passed the ball with he no did. care whatsoever yeah. into the middle of the pitch. He did. I mean, he he got very much away with it on the disallowed goal. The other thing, and I will come to that because that was almost funny, uh, Cal, when after that, I, it's, it's Dawson's decision that also confused. I, I wonder on because he sprints across to cover the gap behind Diop, mm. seemingly unaware of the gap. I was, I, yeah, I don't know if he doesn't know that Sifal's not there. I think he's meant to be there, so he can sprint across, and Sifal should be there behind him to sprint across and fill the space that Dawson's just vacated, but he's not. So. I think Dawson's decision-making is probably okay because he's trying to bail out Diop's defensive mistake, which he's probably got used to doing at this point in the season. Craig Dawson at this point is on autopilot to when Issa Diop does that to sprint yeah. in behind him to cover the, <laughs> yeah. the obvious run that's going to go in there. Issa yeah, Diop's on the ball, I best get ready to cover yeah, his mistake. Exactly. I, I appreciate also, I will, I will actually, it's fair for me to say, having just pointed that out, if he hadn't made that decision and they just passed it round there, yeah, he would have been criticised for that. He is—he is a little bit stuck. For uh-huh. it. He's basically Nothing he can do anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think my only other criticism on the goal would be I, I, you can call me out if you think it's right or wrong, but I think Fabianski again slow could be line. doing better. He's very slow off his line, and then not only is he slow to leave his line, once he leaves his line, he kind of does like a stutter step, like he's just sort of gone shit. Maybe I should go back. Maybe I should stay here, and then that like split second is essentially what makes or breaks that save and unfortunately because he's not committed to it and not been quick enough Harrison's got a better angle to finish it and it was a good finish to be fair to him but it's a guy that's on a hat-trick and clearly brimming with confidence and you shouldn't even be allowing him that chance really but yeah I think that game like we said about um, the goal earlier and his (laughs) him looking like a 45 year old bloke and then his slowness off his line I think are two signs of his age really I mean he's been great throughout the season um, and what we can't deny is that his shot stopping has been good, but really it's the, it's the stuff that's more directly linked to age, like speed and stuff like that, where you can slowly start to see the signs of it kind of fading away, um, and that's potentially a worry. Yeah, lack of sharpness. A, a good keeper in both of these situations probably saves or, or at least makes an impact on, on, on both of these shots. 
Uh, yeah, his expected conceded goals for the game was 1.69 and he let in three. It's difficult yeah. to use those metrics in, in just 90 minutes because they're better indicators across the course of a season of how many goals you've prevented and stuff. But but that is it, it's still some indication that he should have been doing better with the chances he was facing. Um, we could transition slightly forward up the field. Um, I know we were going to talk mainly attack as a way to have some positivity. Midfield balance, however... I just want to go on there. I was really frustrated to see Lanzini seem to be sitting and doing more of the defensive work. Yeah. And Rice was box to box Rice again. When we've got a really bad or struggling defence, do we need to ram Shackle, hold Shackle down even Rice and make him do the really, really good world-class defensive work? Uh, instinctively, I'd answer yes, but um, carrying past your press because it's one-to-one. If you can carry beyond the first man that presses you, then you cause a lot of problems for them. And actually, if you look at the two players, Rice is much better at doing that than Lanzini. So in terms of causing problems offensively, I can kind of understand why why he was deployed as as kind of the player who was pushing more towards the box more regularly. Um, the, the, The issue I have more, and we'll come to it later when we get to the substitutions, is that, yeah, Lanzini can't do the screening job that you need when Rice is doing that. And it was kind of functioning from an offensive perspective, but not a defensive perspective. So, you know, why didn't we change the balance in the midfield? Why did we look to change things in the, on the flanks when I think mm-hmm. that area of the game was kind of functioning all right? But anyway, we'll come to that more later. But yeah, obviously, I mean, it, this this is very simple analytically, isn't it? It's just that, yeah, uh, Lanzini is not good enough analytical. as a defensive midfielder. <laughs> yeah. He, he did make four tackles and two interceptions, Lanzini. I mean, he, he did quite well in that respect. Yeah. He, he isn't a bad midfielder. He just can't do that job. I think it's probably the first game I really, you look at and you think you can see what Suchek is good at, I guess. Yeah, I think one of the things I noticed most was that uh, for all that Lanzini uh, has shown uh, in the last few games and like what he offers, he's been great. Um, and what Suchek doesn't get credit for is the sort of unimpressive but really important stuff in the sense that, much like we were talking about the press earlier, Suchek has this knack of, and it comes with time playing alongside Rice, of just being there in the right position for Rice to offload the ball and get away and Suchek can can take it in a fairly like non-dangerous position to receive possession and then play a fairly safe pass up the field. So it doesn't get recognised as being progressive or like anything groundbreaking, but it's safe. And like what we were not in possession yesterday was safe. We gave the ball away way too many times. Uh, I think Lanzini I've got down as having nine possession losses, which which is just not acceptable, really, uh, particularly if you're asking him to play a sort of uh, deeper role where if he does lose the ball, it's going to be in a difficult position for us to defend and for Leeds to create a pretty threatening attack. Um, so, yeah, I think it was really obvious that Suchek wasn't there because he just Rice didn't seem to have that out ball, which is why you sort of see him taking things into his own hands, as he often does, and because it's not there. And thankfully, he has the ability to do that and drive up the pitch. But I'm sure he would have appreciated having Suchek there to, to sort of mean that he didn't have to do it quite so frequently. And But also counter-pressing, right? I mean, like one, one of the huge benefits of having those two is when we turn over the ball, you've got these sort of two, two one at least one of them was off, sometimes two of them onto the ball quite quickly and, and challenging the sort of turnover mm-hmm. um, area of the game. And, and here, Lantini, I mean he tries but he just gets there too slowly and then sells mm-hmm. himself um and that happened a few times in, in in the game and then eventually you kind of get him backing off more but then he's not really got the kind of defensive ability or the yeah. or phys- be, he's not really physically imposing enough to to just to, to kind of protect the defense in the way that you need in those situations when he's jogging back towards his own goal so attacking wise then there were the worst positives we created Enough chances to, to to draw, maybe win the game. Realistically, I think our XG was reasonably level. If I'm remembering under stat, maybe yep. positive in our favour. What I the thing that I thought worked is the thing I always think worked because I, there's a certain man I love, and I thought Fornells was really good and has shown in the last two games that his forward passing in the kind of final third is possibly unmatched in the team. And there were, I mean, his goal was excellent, but otherwise, I thought Antonio was reasonably good. Bowen has scored. We could have we could have won that, I suppose, Jack. The attack did function, I guess, is what I'm saying. I think we were quite good going forward. <laughs> um, I think Fornells was excellent. Um, 
Cal will come. I think we'll come to you on on his on his passing in a second. Mm-hmm. But I think he was really good. I thought Ant- Antonio's been really harshly criticised after the game, um, and I thought he was quite good. Um, I thought he made space for people really well, and his passing was better. Even though maybe, well, his passing wasn't good. That's not true. But he's, his- a couple of his forward passes. <laughs> if you think of the big chance, if you think of the big chance he had where he should have gone round the player. His pass down the line to Ford Hours was actually a really intricate and nice pass. And I don't think four weeks ago, I think he probably kicks himself in the foot and falls over. Some so of his progressive or creative yeah. or key passing, however you put it, was nice. But then yeah. his general yeah. passing. Yes. I was about to say yeah. his short passing Wait, around him, it was very more Antonio. Yeah. yeah. So, no, Six, that... 61% pass completion for the game, but 86% of his forward passes were. were good. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I think the key thing with Antonio is that. He's been criticised for his for his uh, ball losses, which I think is fair. But he's been criticised also in this game for for pulling out wide too much. That is nonsense. He was getting battered by Strauch. That's all right. Sometimes someone can play really well for the opposition, and to be sensible enough to go, actually, this guy's got my number, and I'm going to go out wide and cause other problems and create chances for my teammates is sensible. I don't understand the criticism yeah. saying, oh, what, stay on Strauch and keep getting battered. No, go and play on Ailing, go and play on Dallas and, and yeah. get him behind like he was. And, and he nearly created, nearly created the equaliser at the end exactly. by, by occupying thing, a wide position line. and putting in a cross. And his yeah. crossing is pretty good. Like, it's better than a lot of the people we've got that are, are tasked with crossing most of the time. So... Yeah, so no, I thought Antonio was good. I think he, you know he he created chaos at several points in the game, and and the good kind, um, and, and turned away. Uh, I think particularly against Ailing, managed to turn away from him a few times and, and create chances for teammates. And I think you know people have said, oh, it's like completely unintentional. He's got no idea doing what he's doing on Fornals' goal. The first time he tries to flick it around the corner for Fornals and gets it all wrong, mm-hmm. and then actually the pass where he's yeah, he studs into the ground. To, to four hours it's a brilliant assist yeah people are making out that it's like like it was, he's just not meant that at all it's because it's because only one of the only players i think i could think of who would do that is antonio who would do try and do quite a, a simple part just flick it into the air and then actually end up doing something really good to make up for his mistake which is kind of what, yeah why he's been so didn't, good he score, didn't he score a goal like that with a very similar touch he flicked it like kind of over his i can't remember who it was against i'm sure it was earlier in the season and he took a very similar touch and then instead of laying it off to someone, basically just levered it into the back of the net. I, can't, I wish I could remember who it was against. No, Let's go. The, the man is an inconsistent brilliance. Um, but you've, you've got positive for now, for now's numbers, Cal. Which I have, yes. I'm, I'm I have. delighted. <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, I think, yeah, rightly, Jack's pointed him out as being one of the, one of the most positive performers, uh, not just against Leeds, but also against Norwich. But um, I think most interesting was his passes to the penalty area, uh, the frequency of, so just for reference, throughout the season so far, he's averaged three passes to the penalty area per 90. But um, most recently against like, Arsenal, Burnley uh, and Spurs, he only managed one. Uh, obviously, various his minutes in each game varied. Um, but against Arsenal, he played pretty much the whole game and still only managed one. Uh, but against Leeds, he actually managed seven, which is considerably more than his season average and considerably more than anyone else. Uh, and it was the same again against Norwich. So I, I don't know if this is tactical or if, if maybe just a bit of time out of the team has, has given him some newfound energy and then as, as a result increased his productivity. Um, either way, I'm here for it and hopefully we can see some more of it going forward. And the goal, the goal was he 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 made quite look quite simple in the end, but actually was a really brilliant. Yeah, it was a good finish. finish. It was perfect. A, the finish was perfect in the way he delayed really well. It, did, it, it mm-hmm. had it had some of the skill of the um, Pyatt goal against Middlesbrough without all of the stuff that went before it. Yeah. It was just, but it was it was it's that that kind of brilliant, which makes it surprising that he was taken off then for for Yarmolenko of of, of all players as well. Um, who who made whose main contribution was tackling Rice in the Leeds box? I think. Other than, <laughs> yeah, that was mate. I was fuming on that. Other was than when he did that, and he he does one of these every substitute appearance. One of his slow slide tackles where he almost decides he doesn't slide. He just gets on the floor and flicks someone's legs out. Um, but yeah, I, it was you're, you're my tactics man, Jack. Justify any of it? Can you? No, this is this is. Probably the most bemusing decision I've seen this season. Fornals was probably our best player up to that point in the game. Um, 
and was hooked for someone who doesn't have the same kind of energy to press um, at all, um, won't offer... Uh, it, it moved Bowen inside and meant that there was no protection for Soufal. I, I got very angry on the second watch with the amount of times that he was standing watching Soufal in 2v1s um, mm-hmm. and then sort of looking at it and assessing what's going on and being like, oh, that's a 2v1. Oh, shit, I should be doing something about that. So, you know, there's that kind of slowness of thought defensively that um, that really negatively affects us. And then... Look, uh, he's a talented player, but we just haven't seen it this season. We haven't seen it, it, it this season at all. We've barely seen it in any of the, the substitute appearances he's had thus far. And again here, some would argue he's, he got his goal. That's really simple. He's just nodded that in and it's disallowed anyway. And then uh, I do think he does deserve a little bit of credit for that shot. I really liked the shot with the outside of the foot that went towards the corner mm-hmm. of the goal. But um, as, as a tactical change... I think it took away most of what we were doing well um, and didn't really add any value um, defensively or offensively. So, you know, pretty much a, a totally, totally backfiring substitution. I think with 20 minutes left as well. Crazy. Yeah. Like usually we see him in like the 85th or 86th and it's kind of just a last throw of the dice kind of thing. But there was still a lot of the game left to play. Like, so to remove our most effective player was just, yeah, rightly, bemusing is the right word. I, I yeah, suppose yeah. you talked about what you, what, what we needed to address earlier and we said we'd get back to that, Jack. So what, what you think we need to address the midfield balance or the defensive balance, I guess? The first change was the thing was like where it started to go wrong for me, which was bringing Matawaki on for Vlasic. I think it was kind of harsh to bring Vlasic off, but I understand it. He had a really poor opening 10 15 minutes of the second half. Um, but if you're going to take Vlasic off, surely the right player to bring on in this situation is Kral. Put Lanzini at number 10 and put four nails on the left yeah. wing. Like it, It's staring you in the face is this obvious solution to rebalance the midfield, regain some control of the match and allow Lanzini to do what Lanzini does in the final third and keep four nails um, in advanced areas of the pitch. And even with those two, they're quite comfortable rotating between 10 and, and the left. So if one wants to come back into the middle and the other one wants to go out to the left, you can. It was just just a really odd uh, decision. And you bring someone on in Masuaku who isn't going to show for the ball as much as Vlasic. And Vlasic might not have been do- doing such a good job of it in the second half. But in the first half, he was doing a really good job of showing for the ball when other teammates were, when teammates were under pressure uh, uh, and taking it under pressure and, and keeping hold of it. And Masuaku just, do- I mean, <laughs> just doesn't offer that at all. So and he looks after the ball. Yeah, so I, I, very, um, very strange decision. And, you, 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 you know, there's been a lot of people wondering what Kral's doing wrong at the moment. But... He, he, I, he, I don't really care how bad he has been in training. He, he still is the right solution in that situation over Masawaki for me. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we were desperate for someone to come on, like you say, saying, a screener, and that's that's what earned Crowell the move. He, he, he earned a reputation playing for the Czech Republic and in Russia as a defensive screener who shuttles from box to box and averages like 10 interceptions a game when he was in Russia. Like that's, that's crazy returns. And yeah, like you say, like, I don't know whether the concern is fitness or form in training or attitude. I don't know, but like, it was so obvious that he was the man to bring on and, and we just didn't do it. And I don't get it. I really don't get it. I'm, I was completely baffling. And then the proof in the pudding was that, I think it must have been within a minute after he took Vlasic on. Lanzini gives away possession needlessly, turns around, charges back, makes a horrible tackle in a dangerous area and gets a yellow card for it. Like the, <laughs> It was almost poetic the way it was. we were all yeah. crying, like, why have you not taken him off? Why have you not? Oh, well, look, you should have done that. It was ridiculous. The, the one I did agree with in my fact was... I mean, it wasn't even so much it was Perkins coming on, it was Diop coming off. I, 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 I mean, I, I, I almost got up and applauded in my living room. It was, it was one of those kind of Perkins gets a 7 out of 10 for having come on for Diop. Um, it, it, I, I just I wonder in a game like that, when you're not playing against a traditional centre-forward and Diop was having a struggle, especially having a struggle on the ball, could you have gone Crespo at centre-back at that point, Masuaku at left-back, just because Diop's having a mare? Is that an option? I don't know. Well, I guess it is, given how well Cresswell did when he was shifted in there. 
Mm. With two or three excellent tackles, uh, one really nice covering run and, and two or three really excellent passes out of defence. And he takes the free kick quickly, which you get the benefit of being a centre-back um, and plays it through to, to Antonio to create the chance that nearly uh, brings the equaliser. So it was probably Cresswell's best period of the game uh, when he was shifted into centre-back. So I, my instinct would be usually to say no, but uh, the evidence uh, suggests otherwise. <laughs> It's, it's, also, it's also kind of a, a, a led to some sort of debate against squad depth because we had to, there were very few options to, to throw on a 17 year old who's not played in the Premier League, uh, an aging Ukrainian who doesn't really seem to want to be at the club anymore, and a left back who is now a winger. And still can't get in the Congo squad. I still can't get in the Congo squad. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a thought I haven't even. Uh, let's yeah. just move on from that. I mean, it's, it is worth talking about. Uh, it was. Pascal Strauch, in particular, who was really, really good. Leeds were much better than the cup game. Yes, yeah, much better. Yeah, yeah. Strauch, I think, was excellent. Did a brilliant job on um, on Antonio. I, th- I think Adam mm-hmm. Forshaw might be my favourite player in the league this season. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so- someone who I uh, who 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 one of our podcasters was annoyed was being made to look like Perlo, I believe, in the first half he tweeted out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, he was. And to be fair, it was a rash tweet because I've watched him play a few games this season and every game he's actually looked pretty good. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a case of us making him look any better. It was just that he's actually had some sort of resurgence of form, uh, which is great to see because my understanding is that he's had a pretty rough time of it with injuries and stuff over the past few years. So He's been out for two years prior to yeah. this, this run. Mm-hmm. So um, it's and he's come in and not looked out of place, I wouldn't say, in the Premier League. So No, I, I said in the last podcast about Leeds that it's a problem if Adam Forshaw is your best player for about five weeks on the bounce in the Premier League. Um, but I might, yeah, maybe I'm retracting that because he's very good. He's really, he really good. I mean, all credit to Leeds. They have barely any fit players. They have a 15-year-old on the bench. They lose two players, one who was very, very good. One in Junior Furpo, who I think actually would have been our advantage to stay on the pitch. The guy can't defend. He's very mm. Masuaku. But they just play on. They just do yeah. what Leeds do. It's almost... You can see why they don't buy play, play players so readily, I guess, in a way. Because he has ones that he has dra- drilled to do what he wants. And they just do. And we couldn't handle it. You can see the benefit of that culture that, and that sort of style running through the whole club as well, because you've got under 21s who are so comfortable coming in and, and performing a, 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 a role within that system um, and don't look lost at all. I think Helder was... was yeah, I thought he was he really on. good at left-back as well. I yeah. Some of his passing forward for a player who looked like Antonio tried to bully the other week and couldn't, he moved to left-back and looked really good as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Stroik was the standout for me. I mean, it's it seems fitting in a podcast where we're talking about how terrible our left-sided centre-back is that their best player on the pitch was a left-sided centre-back who <laughs> uh, had a really good game. And against Antonio, like he, I'm sure, yeah, he won 11 defensive duels yesterday, which is more defensive duels than he's actually attempting in any other game this season. So Antonio is the kind of striker who's so like involved. He, he'll, I would imagine most centre-backs who have been tasked with marketing will have turned out a higher number of defensive duels in that game than in any other game this season, just by the nature of how Antonio plays. But to win 11 of them is is, is very impressive. Well, no, if we move on from there, we were to link the link of the two games that we're going to talk about, Leeds and Norwich, it's, and it's probably something that actually you could link throughout our whole season, maybe the last two seasons, profligate finishing, not quite being, or profligacy in how we're attacking and in our dominance and not, not, getting more from what we're doing in games. Well, this is the big positive spin on the Leeds game for me. I think there were probably, and, and, and this is going to sound like a dramatic over-exaggeration to everyone listening, but I think there were seven chances from which we could have scored goals. Um, there's two goals. There's two that we definitely should have scored, Dawson and Bowen. Mm. Um, when Rice gets played through uh, by four nails, which I think is probably the pass of the match, um, yeah. If he swivels and cuts back with his first touch, which he absolutely should do, Bowen has a has a tap in. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've my my memory of that is he does look, and Bowen isn't ahead of the man, which I think probably is why he's made the decision. But he well, by the time he takes his shot. first touch, yeah. by the time he takes his first yeah. touch, Bowen is like yeah. just short of the penalty spot or whatever. It's, it's way ahead of his man, um, and it, it's it's a, it's an easy chance if he cuts it back. And 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 anyway, I think just just generally, if he can scan again. 
Yeah, or shoot like as soon yeah. as he takes the touch, he kind of just ruins the whole um, the whole thing. Antonio has a has a great chance again. It's Fawn House um, who who plays a brilliant cut back into the um, sort of edge of the penalty area for for Antonio. And um, if Antonio takes the touch because the defender's sold uh, by having to attempt to block, then it's a, it's an easy finish on his left foot. But he just hits it with his head down first time straight into the defender. Um, so there, I think we've got six, and then the seventh being the disallowed goal on top, um, which You've got the you big, know, yeah, the big chance. And I also thought Bowen could have done better from that header on the corner in the first half, where he actually twice he's got up and he did, he headed one over on the diagonal. And I thought actually. He possibly could have done more. We did. I think that's more of a half chance. chance. Yeah. I think that's more that's of a half a, chance. But if, if that was, uh, that was, I suppose, if that was one of our defenders, that might go in. I guess. Yeah, but so I, I'm sort of more pointing to yeah. before the disallowed goal, before the off- offside from Bayern, yeah. the the header or the shot. I think it's Sufal right that has the shot beforehand. This yeah, yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, decent yeah. effort. Um, so no, there were there were lots and lots of chances in the game and a couple of poor decisions. Um, two really poor finishes and, and two really poor sort of decisions in terms of final touch or final ball um, that would have would have created better chances for us. So really feel that we probably should have scored more against Leeds. And then similarly to Norwich, I don't know how Norwich managed to get through so much of that game at 1-0. No, it was very frustrating. If you look watch that Norwich game, Cal, they could have had, they could have equalised. It was one half chance at best that forced a very good save, but you, I suppose there has to be a level of criticism if you allow an opponent who is that much worse than you to still be in a game come 25 minutes, 20 minutes left when you could have had four in the first half. Yeah, well, I think that's what separates the... It's such a cliche. Uh, football cliche is at me. Uh, but what, what separates the top teams from the teams sort of on the periphery like us at the minute is that they have... Um, finishes that that put those chances away, and that's why they win games four nil, five nil, whatever. And we don't. And unfortunately, um, yeah, as good as Antonio is, he's not the most instinctive striker. Um, and and there's other players in the team that uh, could equally be accused of of not putting chances away, as as we've mentioned in the Leeds game, but like you say in the Norwich game too. I guess one part of it, and it, you get lucky that Norwich are very bad, and that's when you're trying to look at positives to take from West Ham it is worth noting that the opponent were I think that's the worst team I've watched for two or three or four years in the Premier League for a long time when they you again tactics wise you you could correct me but was their only tactic kick it into the corner and Adam Eder will run and Everton still beat still lost to them. yeah and Everton, and Everton <laughs> did still lose quite comfortably really <laughs> Um, I, I, they were awful. Uh, I, I think if we're talking about how how um, how how much we lack press resistance in our defence in the Leeds game, and more generally recently, the press resistance of their defence is absolutely hilarious. Uh, it's just like someone sort of makes a movement to run towards them, and Ben Gibson's like, "Oh, it's going." <laughs> Out for a goal kick. I don't care. Uh, so. <laughs> So I think they were really poor. Um, and, and and I think one of the things that was really obvious throughout the game from from their perspective, and I kind of felt sorry for the Norwich fans afterwards because I was watching uh, various sort of Norwich roundups and, and, and articles after the game, reading bits and bobs and people saying, oh, well, you know, this was an improved Norwich performance. And I was like, God, how bad have you been if that's an improved I, Norwich uh, performance? The, the boss puts together the opposition view on the website. And he yeah. On the match form. And I think you go through that. And most people's comments were, you just, it's just, there's no joy in it. There was no joy in the way in beating them and reading their comments. Sometimes it's really fun to watch other clubs seethe, but no, they weren't. They just kind of quite. It was either acceptance of what they are, or actually that wasn't as bad as it could have been. Which I mean, having remembered the Avram Grant years, there were games we think, oh, we only lost that two 0 What a result! Yeah, and that's that kind of what it came down to to Norwich. Oh, I mean, it is. It does touch on something that I thought you know is been noticeable in the last two games with four nows coming back as the the pressing. And yeah, the, the, the way the press is different with four nows. Yeah, I think I, although I'm criticising Norwich for, for lacking press resistance, four nows and Antonio do really combine well in the nine and ten when pressing together, uh, and it was very obvious in the Norwich game, particularly four nows, just outstanding at, at hassling them throughout the whole game. The, the energy he played with, I think you can see the benefit of the break 
um, for him, having had a few games off where everyone else has been just playing every sort of three days consistently, yeah. uh, three or four days. Um, so yeah, he, he played with, with great energy and caused lots and lots of problems, uh, for, for Hanley and, and Gibson and, and actually in midfield as well. They, they combine really well because one will go and the other one supports really well in stopping the ball from being able to go into the other centre back or stopping the ball from being able to go into the defensive midfielder. And Norwich didn't react to that very well throughout the game because you really felt that their wingers should be coming a little bit tighter and because they were playing this sort of 4-4-2 with either quite close to, to, to Puki and you felt wingers can come like Plajeta can come a little bit tighter and, and help out and there were several times where Fornals and Antonio have, have gone and pressed Hanley or or, or, um, or Gibson and the balls come into someone like Lise Malou or particularly it happened with Lise Malou a lot and he's turning and running forwards and there's just no one to pass to you know, because the because our team has come up to support the initial press through Fornals and Antonio, and you've got Rice and Lanzini pushed up, and and there's Norwich rule beyond the ball, and there's no interest in like let's you know let's drop in and help and create a passing angle here. It was just uh, sort of your problem, mate. See if you can dribble past three, uh, and then we'll see if we're in business after that. Um, but yeah, our press was very effective here, and um, and I think those two combine really well in those two positions out of possession. Funny thing is that actually it's ended up being quite a good week for for Norwich because they've gone and beat Everton, having not scored for the six games before, and Newcastle couldn't win at home against Watford. Yes, yeah. so, <laughs> Burnley have had more games cancelled. So I'm pleased for them as well. So it's, it's horrible in, in, to be in that situation. Like you said, I remember the Avram Grant years as well. It's just awful when when you're going into games and you're sort of saying two 0 wouldn't be a bad result here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's also a game. And I'm going to have to go back to you, Jack, on this, because I know this was something you really want to say. It's substitutions critical against Leeds, positive here, that they were used well against Norwich. Just mainly the decision to bring Masuaku on. I think, you know, uh, we were struggling to secure secure the win in that game and bringing Masuaku on as a as an overlapping option, someone who's going to be comfortable crossing on the left and not always coming back inside. You know, Norwich... Um, hadn't defended brilliantly, but had done well in, in sort of some, some of the last line instances. I uh, can't say a team that can, has defended brilliantly when Ben Gibson's allowed uh, Jared Bowen to get in front and score a header. Um, but uh, they had done well in some instances and defended their last line um, fairly okay. And, and and I think, you know, we were we were all kind of coming towards the middle and, and to bring a, an overlapping left footer on who's just going to be able to arrive late and, uh, and cross exactly as he did for the goal was it was a was a perfect decision really to to, to get that second when we really needed it. Let's ask for half a match while he ends up getting an assist for a pass he should have played ten seconds no maybe two seconds earlier and then the man's offside because of it but then onside I guess in a game like that it's difficult to have much takeaways cow numbers wise or or other but i mean what were your thoughts of the knowledge go uh it was dull <laughs> to be honest for me like i they like you say it's it's one of those games uh i i too feel sorry for them but there just really wasn't a lot going on there's no there's no real um analytical takeaway that you can have from it um i thought we created a reasonable amount of chances but perhaps should have created more against a team that would so so poor and afforded us 60% possession, which is crazy numbers for us. <laughs> That's, that we yeah. never really touched that sort of possession. Um, but then maybe that comes back to something we've talked about before is that teams that do kind of sit off and are happy to give us the ball, quite often we look like we don't necessarily know what to do with it at times. Or, but then that dynamic, I thought, did look... Um, was a little different with um, Fornals and Lanzini in the team, which I thought... As much as I don't think it worked well against um, Leeds, I thought against Norwich it looked pretty nice. Um, but then I think that's just a case of the quality of opposition is that it's probably quite easy to look really good. And, and yes, um, if any game you don't, <laughs> you don't need Suchek in any game, I guess it's probably I get Norwich where you're going to have a yeah. lot of ball and then actually. But that's it. Though. I think there's probably something to be said for not necessarily experimentation, but if we, if we have that sort of option to roll out against teams like that who who we can afford to be a little bit more cavalier in midfield and, and kind of take a more attacking approach to have that option and um, rest Suchek when uh, when we need to and stuff like that, or, or Rice, for example, um, and have those two options as central midfielders would, would be nice. But against other teams, I don't want to see Lanzini as a, as a more deep line midfielder again. I, I didn't think he did very well in the second half in this game. Um 
I, th- I think again, it's it's uh, it, he he's he's great from from ten, and actually he doesn't lose the ball at all from ten. And then actually when he's playing in defensive midfield, I don't know what it is, but he seems to lose the ball far more regularly. And and actually, if there was a position where you'd be more okay losing the mm. ball more regularly, it'd be at ten, not at, not when you're playing sort of in defensive midfield. So um, yeah, second half of the game against Norwich, I thought he turned the ball over way 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 too much. Um, even though I think you know what. I, it's easy to say the game was dull and we, we don't really sound super excited. We did play with a lot of like swagger in the game. It was quite nice mm. to watch some of the intricate passing. Vlasic and Fornals combined really well. Bowen was it's brilliant. nice to be so good it's easy. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we've got big, it's the big game up next, really. The big, it's a really big game against a Man United team where there's problems. They've got problems all over. They're kind of all these articles every, every other day about their supply teacher manager who, who, who gets no authority, bless you. And, um, <laughs> and, and a team that's just lost a two goal lead. Um, do you, is it a good time to play them? I suppose. I mean, I, it kind of prediction. We haven't done predictions for a while, but this is a really big game. So I do kind of want to see your takes on what you think will happen. It's a good Jack, time to play them. <laughs> I, I think, I think that's true. I think it's definitely a good time to play them. Um, my worry is is that we're playing against Mr. Press for Control and um, mm-hmm. we've got a defence that doesn't like to be pressed. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully, I mean, I, 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 I've read that Zoom is recovering from COVID yeah. or yeah. hopefully he might be available uh, for this one because I think it would make a big difference. Hopefully Suchek also comes back because I think that would make a big difference too. Um, but yeah, if there's, a, if there's a time to play Man United, it's probably now. Um, and um, yeah, like I said earlier, I think it's a great platform for us. Um, I think it's a perfect game, really. I wouldn't want us to be playing Watford next. Uh, they play midweek as well, don't they? United, they've got a cup game. I didn't know that. I wasn't aware. I think they've got Brentford in the week, which is helpful because Brentford aren't the easiest team to play against anyway in terms they of have. physical. Yeah. Got Brentford so away on Wednesday night, yeah. 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 They've got those, those, oh yeah, the ca- they're all catching up, aren't they? Because Burnley's going mm. to be up. Yes, I remember now. So yeah, we've got. I suppose that means we've got got um, the extra rest compared to them as well. Um, look, I just, I just, I, I'm, I'm glad we've got them. We've been, we've turned up in big games this season, um, yeah. and I think it's a, it's a great chance to to reinject some sort of energy into the place because I think it felt really flat after the Leeds yeah. game. I think the Leeds result should galvanise them as well. Like they, I know that everyone in the squad saw it as an opportunity to kind of close the gap with Chelsea and create a gap between the teams behind us, and and they'll see that as a missed opportunity and hopefully use that as motivation to come out and put in a shift here. Um, see, so yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say I feel positive, but I'm I'm excited for it, and I, I agree with Jack. I think now is the time to play them um, more so than ever. It's almost a six pointer though, isn't it? I mean, because you look at Arsenal yeah, Spurs, they, they look better positioned to to take to take the spots in the top six, whereas Man United look like the team you could push push out of it at the moment. Yeah, it will it will be telling that game, or unless it's a draw, and then it won't feel like that at all. So, kind of on the back of those are some frustrating results. We've talked about substitutions and a lack of options we had this week. Granted, Afcon, COVID, etc. The transfer window's still open. We've still got options. You've been writing every day these articles that I've I've talked about. You can go on your Twitter, go on KUMB on the website, you'll see them. Um forward options. It may shock some people. We still don't have an alternative for Mikhail Antonio up top. I don't know if anyone's spoken about it. I may have got onto something there. Um you you it was Ekatike today, wasn't it? You talked about? And he's he's one that is caught a bit of a fuss there was news before a week ago that West Ham had bid then it was Newcastle then it was West Ham then it was 15 million then it's 25 I don't know uh, sometimes then you don't get the most re- re- reliable news from get French football news now on Twitter <laughs> unsurprisingly <laughs> um, but he looks an interesting prospect at kind of his age especially Shout out to GFFN. No, yeah, he's um, <laughs> he he is an exciting prospect. Uh, he's sort of burst onto the scene this season. He started the season as Rams' uh, fourth fourth choice stri- striker. Fourth fourth choice Oif, striker. Fourth um, choice. So uh, wasn't expected to do very much this season. Uh, wasn't uh, he did well, but wasn't massively impressive at Valia uh, Ball Club in uh, Denmark, uh, where he was on loan last season. But uh, when his chances come this season, he's looked brilliant. Um, and he does lack a little bit uh, when it comes to hold up. I would worry. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily be 
wouldn't necessarily be someone I'd be targeting for this window, but uh, definitely someone I'd be keeping tabs on for, for summer. His hold-up play is a little bit weak. Um, but, um, Cal, you were going to talk about his presence of mind in front of goal. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, it's a nice link, really, to to the Leeds game and the chance we talked about earlier where, where if had, had Antonio taken a touch and shown a little bit more composure, uh, he would have had a much easier chance and pretty much a, a certain goal, uh, I would imagine. Um, and one thing that Ekatike has absolutely proven is, is, is his composure in front of goal, uh, not just in terms of finishing, which is sublime. Uh, I think he's posting some of the best shots on target percentages across Europe this season. Um, but in particular, uh, there's one chance, I think we linked it in the article perhaps, um, where he's kind of found in front of goal, uh, there's a defender and the keeper, and rather than just kind of leathering it at, at an awkward angle, he has the presence of mind to just stop, take a touch, uh, almost a fake shot kind of thing, sends the defender, drags it back inside and just pokes it into the opposite side of the goal. Um, and that's the sort of composure I think that that we've lacked like we've said, as good as Antonio is, he's not the most instinctive and the most um, relaxed striker on the ball. Uh, and that is a sort of, uh, for someone so young to be showing those sort of um, traits already uh, is really promising. But yeah, I think I agree with Jack. I mean, he is six foot two, so you'd think that his hold up uh, would be good, but he's he's also very young and hasn't filled out yet. Um, and I think with time that will come. Uh, Hlozek, someone that a year ago we would have said is too lightweight and exactly. since developed uh, in the in the space of a year uh, is a similar physical profile in terms of height and stuff, but he's added that strength to his game and now looks like someone I'd really be keen to bring in. Um, and I think Ekatike could follow that that path, um, assuming he's got the right staff around him and the weight plans and all that, all that jazz. But yeah, I think unless we could get him on a loan with an option, I don't think in January uh, and I don't think they're going to let us loan him out. Um, so someone I'd yeah come back to look on in the summer. And obviously there's an added element of risk in the sense that he's only shown this form for six months. So if you bought him and it didn't work, fine. If you assess it in the summer and he's maintained it throughout the course of the season, then it's a much more attractive prospect. Is the difference with him and uh, it's Mohamed Bayo, who's also one that keeps kind of linked up in France. I've seen today that he's, they, they, they're fighting relegation. They won't let him go. Is the difference with him that he's, Bayo seems to be about goals and little else. Ekatika, I think you, you kind of talked about his work rate and his defensive work as being really good. Yeah, Ekatika's numbers in terms of presses are, are, are pretty huge. Um, it, it, I, there's a big caveat. His pr- pressing success is really low. I think it's something like 23% um, of, his, of his pressures actually um, work out as being successful. But um, I, I say it in the article that the, the platform that he gets from being the the most sort of uh, regular and consistent presser out, out of forwards in Liga is great for him to then develop his efficiency from here. You know, he's had very little senior football um, and the more game time he gets, if he's got that kind of energy and he can develop the efficiency alongside it, then um, he could be a really, really exciting presser where Bayo, as you rightly uh, put, um, for me is uh, Eddie and Ketia in disguise. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Goals, yeah. not much else. Yeah, I would say the biggest standout um, number-wise is um, the number of offensive duels they're getting involved in. I think Ekatike is posting like almost 16 offensive duels. Uh, Bayo is posting six, <laughs> which is nothing. Like That's yeah. like nearly one duel every 15 minutes. <laughs> that's just insane. Like, it's a very old-fashioned striker type, but you, you can almost imagine Bayo just with sort of a pipe and a cap on, just sort of chilling yeah. on yeah. the back line. I'll 100%. be in the area when, when you get it here. <laughs> let me know. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll come alive at that point. But until then, that's it. you're on my time, lads. I suppose from there, it's uh, we're still in the AFCON and stealing Callum's line. We need some AF content. <laughs> um, I, I, we, I mean, it's been, it's one that gets, it does get ridiculed a lot. And I think it's fair. A few people have been pointing out that actually it's a little bit, it doesn't get treated with the respect it deserves. Um, granted, there have been some moments within it that have kind of causing that to some extent. Um, I don't know. I didn't know who I'd talk about. Um, for me, you know, Marley and me, we get on really well. I, I do like to talk about that. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the, the Sierra Leone contender to talk about this evening. <laughs> that's that's even worse and i really like that um must be the kind of the unbeaten kind of underdogs 
Sierra oh, Leone. I thought we were going to get a Leona Lewis reference for a second. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that was shocking. No, uh, Sierra Leone, I just wanted to touch on it briefly, really. They're a really good example. There have been a few teams that have, uh, have caused great upsets in the tournament so far. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a massive shock that Algeria are bottom of, of their group, um, Sierra Leone and both, uh, both Sierra Leone and Equatorial Guinea sit above them at the moment. And, and Algeria have played both and only got draws in it. Um, a draw in one of them and a loss in the other. And, and now they've got to, to beat Ivory Coast, which looks kind of unlikely. So we might be seeing Ben Rama back uh, relatively soon. But in that group, the story at the moment probably is um, the fact that Sierra Leone have got draws from both games um, so far against uh, Ivory Coast and Algeria. Um, so that, that's, a, that's an amazing return from a team that's got about seven Camaras in it and, and most of them are over the age of, uh, of 30. Uh, so yeah, just a really great story. I'm, I'm one of many in the tournament so far, really. Um, I've really enjoyed Sierra Leone's performances. I think Guinea have been really fun to watch. Uh, Cameroon looked free scoring and that's really exciting for where they could go in the tournament. AFCON's got a long history of the, of the, um, the team hosting the tournament, winning it. Um, and, and that looks not, I wouldn't say nailed on yet, but they look really, really strong at the moment. Mm. And, and it's interesting to see how far they might be able to go because it's been a while since they've been um, at their best. Shout out Sierra Leone manager as well. Born in Manchester and played for Stevenage. Big up. <laughs> Isn't, am I, have I got this like all wrong, but Stephen Colker? Stephen Colker, yes. He is, he is. I believe as well, Carlton Cole was talking this week that he could have played them i think i saw that so yeah, yeah. you've got Stephen Coker. Coker, yeah anchor, anchor get on the big sierra stage offense, yeah yeah uh it's good for sierra leone to get a moment like this and have a little bit of a little bit of an x factor to the african cover nations well on that note i've got none left i know i know a couple of songs as well but i need to run along and get on with things um Run was there too. We should probably okay, end yeah. because I'm, all I'm thinking of is puns. So on that note, uh, thank you for joining us again. If you want to see those content, if you want to see about Ekatike, uh, there's been more. I think you discussed Dina. I think it was David Realm was the one I thought yeah. was really interesting in the week. Shouts out, love that yeah. guy. We love so, David Realm. <laughs> his numbers are incredible on the looks of things. It looks like a brilliant one. That's yeah. If you go on. Oh, Scottish fullbacks! Come on, yeah, this, this, Doig, the Hickey. Hickey and Doig, who, who I, I can only assume Moyes knows because he loves his Scottish players. Um, yeah, yeah. If you go on the kumb.com, all words, no punctuation, all letters. That one, the Twitter, it's tweeted out every day. The two boys as well do tweet them out. Um, they are they're, they're fascinating to read. Um, but until next time, uh, thank you very much. Good night. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show. James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at kumb.com. Come on, you irons.